Interior. Night. Recording studio. Two redheads begin pre-show warm-ups. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Jack, write that you gargle your water or something. Jack gargles some water. And then put that we say, welcome to Script Shop. Who? Me or you? Mm-hmm. You say it. Welcome to Script Shop. N- no, but like, really, say it. Like, right now. Like, right now. Let's go for it. Welcome to Scrimshaw. No, Jack. Top. <laughs> Omaha. No, Jack. Welcome to Script Shop. Yes, welcome to Script Shop Show. Hello, everyone. I'm Jack. Hi, everybody. I'm Allison. And my hands are incredibly dry because guess what, everybody? It's winter. Uh Uh-huh. It's cold. It's gray. Yeah. It's snowy. It's awful. It is awful. I agree. And and, and my hands are now permanently like, 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 like two pieces of frosted flakes with fingers on them and i'm just constantly <laughs> oh my gosh it's dry skin city over here why don't you put lotion on i because i'm not i do here's the thing i do and mm-hmm. i've got a thing of lotion that i have had literally for years because i don't I, this is the only time of year when i put lotion on my hands uh-huh. i'm not like a lotion person You're it's not, not really my guy. thing but i hate how awful my hands get this time of year so i am lotioning up and i just didn't do it today uh-huh and it's Bad man, I, I feel like I my hands just f- fell into vats of powdered sugar. You know what? I'm trying to be super sorry for you, but but you're not. You could put gloves on. You could do more. Lotion. Well, I'm in a building. <laughs> that I don't need gloves weird right now. If you were wearing gloves <laughs> while we recorded the show. What kind of serial killer would wear, would wear gloves during a exactly. podcast recording? <laughs> oh, There's your writing props wow. of the day, folks. Oh my gosh. Oh wow. Well, you know, just to throw it in your face, I'm going to the Bahamas in a couple of weeks. Oh yeah, please tell me more about that. Yeah. So, you know, this cold, miserable uh-huh. wonder wonderland we have. I'll be escaping it wearing a bikini on the deck of a cruise and then walking along the sandy beaches in the Bahamas. Hi, everybody. This is our podcast about scripts and also about ways to torture Jack in new and fun, inventive forms. Um, Yeah, we could do a whole podcast about torturing you, I think. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, there's not enough time on the Internet for that. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, this is our show where screenwriters send us scripts and uh, we talk to them about them and about their lives and their work and why this script means something to them. Yeah, we love it. We love talking to writers about the most important things in their lives and hopefully getting all the juicy, gossipy details of why they (laughs) did this and that and (laughs) their exposés. I mean, that's basically what I'm trying to do is get them to tell me all the things that they wouldn't tell normal people that they just met. Well, yeah, but now you just teed it all up. Caitlin's waiting to come on, and she she's hearing you say that you're doing this. You're this is like when you're in a when like when you're conducting an experiment, and the fact that the person knows an experiment yeah. is going on throws off the results of the experiment. Well, I mean, they're on a show, so a lot of times people have their show persona on anyway, uh-huh. and we have to break it down, really get into the heart of everything. So our writer today is Caitlin Schneider Han. Um, she's written a 65-page script called Breakfield. Breakfield is, uh, I have written yes, down. Yes, please, what is it? It's a, it takes a village, drama, mystery, surprise, sci-fi pilot. Yes. I love it. There's a ton going on in this script. I, I love it. I love, love, love shows that are based around a town, yeah. a community. Oh, okay. I, I love it. Like it, this one in particularly, in particularly, there you go. in particular, um, you know, Farmersville is like such an insular little town. Mm-hmm. It's really surrounded by like a lake over here and this over here. And you have to drive out of the town on roads to get to the next town. Yeah, <laughs> Isn't I'm, that how towns work? Well, I mean, yes, <laughs> it is technically. <laughs> but you know how like here in Cincinnati, the little areas overlap kind of? Well, as far as like neighborhoods and stuff go, sure. Yes, right, right. that doesn't happen in Farmersville. Oh, I see. It's Farmersville. And then if you're going to the next, we don't... You know, you're, if you're going to Princeton, it it's a 10 minute drive across. Yeah. This something. is like how this is how it was. I grew up in a small town called Wellington in Northeast Ohio, and it's I, I get I get what Thanks you're saying. Thanks for giving that to me. Now that was just objectively <laughs> hilarious. I needed to play it up. Uh, hey, if you have written something about towns, whether they're right next to each other or maybe you have to drive on a road to get to the next one. <laughs> Uh, you can send those scripts to us, and you can do that by going on to scriptshopshow.com slash submit and uh, send us your work. We'd love to check it out. And if you include the phrase that pays in your message, if you say hashtag hot burrito, that means we'll read your script sooner because that means you listen to the show. And uh, I don't know. It's our little fun thing that we do. We're also online in various forms of social media. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, 
We're on Twitter. all those things. If you look up Script Shop Show, uh, you can find us there, and you should follow us, and you can get uh, information about what show is coming up next week, little promotions we do. And then individually on Twitter, I'm at Script Shop Jack. And I'm at your bestie, Westie. And we talk about random things. Allison was just explaining earlier this week to me about her, <laughs> cheese her personal cheese lunch, <laughs> which I thought was a great thing, and I needed to know uh, more about it. Do you, are you going to have your own personal cheese lunch? I, f- I feel like on some level every day I have my own personal, personal cheese lunch. You're living the life, Jack. I'm trying. That's luxury. Not, That's really luxury. I'm not too proud to admit it. Uh, also, we are on, uh, speaking, of, speaking of not being too proud, we're on Patreon. We're not too proud to say, hey, you know what? If you want to give us money, we'll take it. We'll take it. Uh, so if you're interested in uh, supporting us uh, on a Patreon level, uh, again, go to Patreon.com. You can look up Script Shop Show there. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we can chat in, 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 the, in the financial forum. <laughs> um, that sounds great. Should we get Caitlin on the show? Yeah, Caitlin has been exceptionally patient with our nonsense. Caitlin Schneiderhan, how are you? I'm great, guys. How are you doing this morning? We're we're good. Thank Sunshiny. you. For, yeah, it is morning because we're doing another morning show. <laughs> yeah, I love the morning right. shows. It's turning out Redheads yeah, podcast in the morning. Um, Caitlin, you're calling us from L.A., so it's very morning. Oh yeah, it's even earlier you. where she's at. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, but I'm I'm caffeinated, so it all kind of cancels out. That's <laughs> good. How long have you been living in L.A.? I moved out here in the fall of 2012 after I graduated from college. So oh, I don't even want to think about how long it's been at this point. You're uh, it's me. been a couple of years. Yeah. yeah. Well, fall of 2012. That was just a few months after the first Avengers came out. So uh, things in LA were everything. That was the big, in terms of the industry type stuff, that was the big moment where all this stuff that Marvel Studios was doing coalesced into this big team up movie and really cemented the fact that, hey, there's a ton of money to be made making movies in this way. Did you, as a writer living in LA at the time, did you feel the idea of agents and studios saying, hey, write big tentpole stuff? We, this is what this is what the industry's into right now. Well, I mean, I think if you were an established writer at that point, you would have felt that. But okay. as a fresh faced 22 year old, uh, hot off the plane from Chicago and D.C., I, I didn't no one was asking me to uh, write the next big tentpole feature. It okay. was just sort of like, oh, hey, maybe you should find an apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. Well, what was it stuff. like when you first moved out? What was it like for you personally? It was, uh, well, you know, it was, it was like moving to any other big city. You just kind of start finding your, your niche and your people and it's slowly but surely carving out, you know, a spot for yourself. Um, I was lucky in that I had several friends that also had moved out to LA and, you know, it's, it's, it's a city where it's fairly easy to meet people if you're open to it. So it it wasn't that bad. I don't know. I'm a big, I'm a big proponent of, you know, Everywhere is what you make of it. So you can choose to have a good experience or a bad experience to a certain extent. And sometimes you just have to make that decision. Well, in terms of like being friendly and meeting people, like at the very least, like people are sort of networking. I mean, is it more like everyone's sort of networking more overtly in L.A. than they would if they in like a Chicago or a D.C. type area? Although I think D.C. they're probably doing a lot, too. Yeah. (laughs) D.C. is is what do they say? D.C. is. the L.A. as L.A. but with ugly people. <laughs> oh, burn. oh, that's so good. That is something that I have heard. And I, I love D.C. and I would I think it's full of beautiful people. But, um, you know, it's just a it's just a different spot. Um, I forget. I'm sorry. What was the question? again? I, I'm not sure. Just the idea of networking and people like willing oh, yeah, to meet yeah, yeah. because I there mean, may be some sort of job payoff down the road. Right. Right. I mean, I think that there is a little bit of that. You're just you're conscious that, you know, even at the lower levels, um, folks that you meet and become legitimate friends with may because just because you work in the same industry uh, might be able to help you out down the line. Um, I mean, it's it's a little it's a little Machiavellian, um, but it's also reality like it's realistic mm-hmm. Um and uh, and it, I don't really think it detracts from the friendships that you make. There is like a layer of, of networking that happens just, you know, when you meet people. Right. Yeah. Uh, so between Chicago and D.C. and L.A. now, are you, you consider you're a city gal, right? You're, you're a city mouse, not a country mouse? Yep. Born and bred. Was it Chicago first and then D.C.? No, I was born in Silver Spring, Maryland, which is just outside of Washington, D.C., yeah. um, and, you know, raised in the sort of, you know, everybody's family works for the government in mm-hmm. some way, that kind of, you know, 
vibe. Uh, and then I went to Chicago for college. Um, love that town. I adore Chicago. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I moved out to LA after I graduated. Yeah. Where did you go to school? I went to school at Northwestern University, which is how I know uh, Mia McCullough. Yes. Oh, Mia. Interviewees. Yes. We love Mia. Love Mia. Mia's listeners, if you may remember Mia McCullough from uh, one of our early, early episodes with her feature script, Hotline, which is just great. One of my all-time favorites was that yeah. script coupled with the interview that she did with us. Please go back and if you're on scriptshopshow.com, scroll back and listen to the Mia McCullough show. She's wonderful. I'm so glad you know her. That's awesome. Yeah, she was one of my professors. Ooh. Yeah. She uh, she was a really great, great professor. She, like, did a great job of kind of giving us all, like, a down-to-earth view of what this industry would be. Mm-hmm. How did it hold up? I think it held up pretty well. I mean, you know, you, you, you're you a little bright-eyed and bushy-tailed when you come out of college just because that's – you should be, you right. know? Otherwise, you know, why not just give up and die? Yep. But um, it uh, it was it kind of prepared us to not be too, you know, expectant of things just falling out of the sky. You know, you, you do have to to work for things and expect a certain amount of failure and and just kind of keep going. And it was it was a good thing to be told. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when you do get off the bus in L.A. with a with a suitcase, it's 2012. You're yeah. you're relatively bright eyed and bushy tailed, and you're looking to to find an apartment and find work. How does how does how do things evolve from then to to what you're doing now? Are you writing more full time now? What how 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 what's the evolution been like? Uh, it's been it's definitely been uh, a trek upwards towards a more positive summit. Um, I when I got you know to L.A. I was temping. I wound up taking a job working as an assistant at a visual effects company. Cool. Uh, and that was, that was a good time. I was there for about three years. I kind of got stuck. Um, cause I didn't really realize I didn't really get through my head, you know, the exact amount of footwork I'd have to put in to make things happen. Um, but once that finally sunk in, um, things started moving Quite quickly, I uh, wound up getting a job as a writer's PA in the writer's room of a show called Outcast, okay. which was, uh, you know, it was, it was a fun show. It was on the second season, um, starred Patrick Fugit. Uh, it was a good good time, but weird little like sci-fi show. And uh, from there, I was on that for a couple months. And then I realized like, oh, I need to find another job because this one's about to end. Uh-huh. Um, and I found a listing online for a job working as, I, I don't know if you guys know what a showrunner's assistant is. Um, we, um, d- we do, but you should, you should tell our listeners in case there's somebody listening that wants to know. Yeah. We need you to prove right. that you know what it is. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're a showrunner's assistant, uh, you assist the showrunner of a TV show and showrunner's it's a pretty self-explanatory title. Uh, they run the show. They will come up with the story arc for the season. They don't always create it, but, uh, sometimes they do. Um, they'll oversee all aspects from writing to production to post-production, uh, and are pretty much responsible for putting together the final product that you wind up seeing on your TV screen or your laptop screen or whatever. Um, so uh, I had seen a listing online for a showrunner's assistant position on a new like Netflix show that nobody knew. There wasn't any information about it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was working for two guys. Nobody knew who they were. There oh, wasn't like, I, any info. I'm excited. Keep um, going. Yeah. All I could tell, all I could find out was that it was going to come out in a couple, in like a couple weeks. And Winona Ryder was somehow attached. Ooh, yep, 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 yep. <laughs> So I went in for the interview. It was great. I wound up interviewing and I got the job uh, and I started working for the Duffer Brothers. Yes. Yes. Uh, Like about a month later, Stranger Things came out. So cool. Um, So I have worked for them ever since. Um, I'm still on the show. We're midway through production or post-production on season three. Yeah. Uh, It's going to be guys tune in. Uh, Yeah. uh, (laughs) I mean, I, I love that show. I would not yeah. miss that show. I'm just realizing right now that you're a huge get for our show. It's, it's, it's kind of the hottest <laughs> drama on Netflix right now. No big deal. 
no no assistant has ever been called a big get. Uh, I just want you to know you just have history <laughs> well, in that sentence. We're, then we're both very we happy with each other. We do lots of firsts here. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. <laughs> that's amazing. But, yeah, it was uh, – I kind of won the lottery uh, in just blindly applying to something online. And, uh, and uh, yeah, here I am a couple years later still working on the show. It's a great, great time. Hmm. Man, I wish we could talk a lot more about Stranger Things, but that's actually not – what we're doing here no we're actually we have her on because she sent us a script called breakfield right. which is the pilot episodes of, of a series that uh, caitlin has created and I, I just you know what if nothing else working on working with the duffer brothers and working on uh stranger things for the last few years how much of that has affected the way you write things uh i think i think i have kind of absorbed a little bit of the way that they write which is very um it's very kinetic and it's very it's very sound based um hmm. They, they do a lot of like transitions with just like the noises that carry you from scene to scene. And like it really kind of keeps the momentum going forward in a really exciting way. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I want it on the record. Breakfield, I know, is a little similar to Stranger Things, but I had written this thing before I started working <laughs> on the show. Um, and I just want that on the record because I don't want to be accused of cribbing or anything like that. No, but. you're fine. I really don't. I mean, other than maybe on just some of the broad strokes of like a, a government conspiracy with with with, uh, you know, otherworldly powers. I, right. I, I don't see a, a huge direct correlation there at all. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting too. you know, like maybe your interest in this kind of topic or this kind of storytelling is part of the reason why you know you can work on a show like stranger things for so long maybe you guys just have that in common at your core you know it's definitely you know it's it's an interest sci-fi and fantasy um have always interested me i was a a dork from way back um just that was what i chose to read when i was a kid uh it's what i choose to read now and uh it's it's something that that just really interests and excites me, and I'm I feel very lucky to be able to work on a show that's so closely aligned with what I enjoy, you know, consuming in my personal life. So, when did you start writing Breakfield? Oh gosh, I mean, you could honestly say that I started it in Mia McCullough's class. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, I had written a like the first no, I wrote the whole thing, um, a feature in her class that was set in a uh, desert community. Um, and it was about a young woman who returns to this community when her mother dies and leaves her like a weird little inheritance thing that winds up being kind of a scavenger hunt. Um, and it's this town that sprung up around the site of like, it's basically Roswell, like a, mm-hmm. a town that sprung mm-hmm. up around the site of like a, a rumored extraterrestrial crash. Um, and I wrote it and, and I was, you know, proud. It's one of those things that you write something when you're 20 and you're proud of it then. And then you go back and you read it and you're like, oh, my God, this is <laughs> terrible. Um, but uh, the seed of it really stuck with me. And I wound up reworking it as a pilot um, once I moved to Los Angeles, uh, which was also terrible. And then <laughs> I think it just it wasn't there wasn't a specificity to it that I needed. Um, and I couldn't figure out what was missing until I wound up driving to death Valley with my parents. Uh, and if you drive to death Valley from Los Angeles, you wind up spending a lot of time in the Mojave desert, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, and one of the routes that you can take leads you past this very small town uh, in the middle of nowhere called Trona, California. And if you look this place up, you'll see what I'm talking about. It looks like it's from another planet. It's this very dusty town. It's exactly what's described in Breakfield. It's this dusty town, like 90% of the houses are abandoned. Um, it's, you know, sun baked. It's, you know, just hot. And, uh, you'll drive past it and it's all along one side of this two lane highway. And on the other side of the two lane highway is a gigantic borax, um, manufacturing facility, Holy cow. And mining facility. And it makes the air smell like sulfur. And it's just where everybody works around there. And 
you keep driving and you drive past uh, the like the high school and the high school is not full. It's there's barely any kids that still go there. Uh, there's a football field out back. There's no grass on the football field. Yeah. It's packed earth because no grass will grow there. And they just paint the lines directly on wow. the ground. The team has never lost a game there. Um, they call it the pit. Um, I stole that and put that in my script. Wow, yeah, you're and, really describing a lot of the way the setup for Breakfield is. Yep, yeah, it was pretty much like I drove past and I was like, holy crap, this is it. Like, this is amazing. And then you keep driving and you drive a couple more miles down the road and suddenly you're outside of an Air Force base and there are drones and jets that just come down and buzz your car because they think it's funny. Um, <gasps> Great. Oh my I gosh, that would freak like, me out. Yeah. It was, it was, it's startling. <laughs> Um, but yeah, by the time you get to, to death Valley, I, by the time I got to death Valley, I was like, well, that's that then. I mean, figured that one out. Great. <laughs> you know, you said you were just driving through and you were like, this is what I've been missing. Yeah. Did you go yeah. back to Trona and start doing research there? I, I drove through it again. Uh, cause I have been to death Valley now twice. Um, but, uh, I did a lot of digging online just to see, you know, what what the main attractions there were like what you know what restaurants do they have like what what's the like how do people live here like what are the main ways that people make money and and you know do they do people are people still moving to trona Mm -hmm. um and it was it was interesting it was definitely very interesting there's a lot of very beautiful photographs um yeah it's it's a fascinating part of the united states that area, that whole area from like Death Valley through the Mojave Desert. It's there's a lot of history and a lot of tragedy um, and a lot of humanity that is all kind of gathered there. So you, you find this specificity and you, is it like a straight up like eureka moment when you're driving through it and you're like, this is it. This is what I'm like, like when Kermit the Frog realizes he needs more pigs and dogs and bears in his musical. Like, I don't, I don't mean to keep making references, but was it a big like eureka moment for you? It was. Yeah, I, I kind of felt like the little fizzy, like aha thing in the back of my brain where I was just like, oh, OK, well, yeah, this is I can I can work with this. This is great. I mean, you, you, you called me a city mouse earlier, and, mm-hmm. and you're correct. I mean, I I can talk about cities um, very easily. I can be specific about cities. I can be specific about cities on two coasts and a lake coast. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, when it comes to things a little bit, you know, more outside of the city, I need more. I need to learn more. That's part of my ongoing education. Mm-hmm. So how did this change your script? What specifically did you change in your script after discovering basically your town? I wound up making it more of a uh, ensemble kind of thing, mm. uh, focusing on multiple different characters and their various relationships, um, the way that they relate to the town and the mine and the airbase and each other. Um the original pilot that I had put together was pretty much a straightforward, like following one character through, um, like a weird little setup. Um, but yeah, this one, this one made it much more of a, like an ensemble piece. <laughs> yeah. Cause now you're telling the story about the town. Like Allison was talking yeah. about, she likes the idea of telling a story about a community and yeah, this, there's a, it, it's difficult to pick out a main character in this. I would say that there's a couple that are definitely in the forefront, but you, there's a lot of people that are involved in this pilot episode. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan. I mean, I, I think this was the first time that I had really written something like that before then it was kind of procedural city for me. Mm-hmm. Um, for a lot of things, just because it's an easy way to kind of learn how to write. It's an easy way to learn structure. It's an easy way to learn, you know, how to write dialogue and, you know, draw out a bit of a character arc. Um, and this was stepping out of my comfort zone for me. And I really enjoyed doing it. And I enjoyed the way it paid off. Yeah, we enjoyed reading it. You want to do you want to read a selection? Yeah, we should read a selection. But also, we sh- I think we should kind of... Um lay out oh, who these sure. characters are and kind of what's going on before sure. we just give them this little slice of life. So listeners, basically what we have is this town. And uh, in the very beginning, let's say the the teaser for the beginning. Yeah, the big cold open. Yeah, we have um, a girls' soccer team 
playing some soccer. We've got uh, a young woman, a young high school student walking along a highway, mm-hmm. kind of being out of touch with everyone. We've got a well-dressed fella in a car driving towards the mineral pit. Mm-hmm. And then as what else happens in that very open I mean, as far as setup goes, yeah, the big thing is the guy is is uh, our mystery man driving to the pit where he ends up taking his own life. Yeah. At the same time when this girl is trying to hitchhike to a different town because she needs to hire a private investigator because her dad's been missing and she yep. wants to find him. Not not the same guy that was in the pit. Uh, and then also the girl's mom, who is a local sheriff's deputy. Claire. 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 Who, who I would say is arguably the main character of this. Right. Who is trying to, A, deal with the fact that her husband is missing, and maybe there's some stuff she's not talking about just yet. And then also deal with this fact that this guy just got found dead at this uh, work site where everybody yep. in town kind of works. Right. So the whole town basically works in um, the mineral pit. And so, you know, as it turns out, this guy who's found there, he, he has crystals growing on his skin Mm -hmm. so there's this mystery of these crystals claire touches his body in the process of um kind of looking at the body and trying to keep the community away from it and his his body just crumbles Mm -hmm. so there's this huge like what is happening moments going on throughout the script so in the in the script today or in the selection that we're going to read um i'm going to be reading for claire and Jack is going to be reading for Tony, who is a local, local town conspiracy theorist. Kind, uh, he's just he's a he, he would argue that he sees things that uh, maybe all the other sheep don't, and he's drawing some connections. He's also dealing with some relationship issues uh, in the in the town. Mm-hmm. He's our he's our local kook, um, the one that nobody really takes seriously. But right. I think in terms of like story elements, really gets to give us some background information. And, he's spot on. Yeah. Um, Caitlin, does that, does that sort of summarize up to where we're going from? I think you guys guys did a, a better job than I could have. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, listeners, Caitlin is going to be reading our action headings today. So I also want to I also want to add that Tony flew his drone. Oh so yes, I think this is so funny that when the body was discovered at the mineral pit, Tony goes and pulls his drone out and takes his drone on a little excursion to get in there to try to figure out who this mystery man is and catches a glimpse of this guy's face and knows who he is. Knows who he is. So Tony is putting pieces together here. Um, so, and I think that's important to, you know. Yeah. That's he, why he's, he's going not, to the cops. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's okay. great. Okay. So, um, Caitlin, whenever you're ready, you can really take us away on the selection. Page 20. Uh, all right. Page 20. Interior, Sheriff's Department, bullpen, afternoon. Claire pours herself a cup of coffee, doing her best to ignore the amused, condescending stares from Deputy Davis, seated at his own desk. Tony regards her coffee preparation suspiciously. Coffee? I don't, I don't handle caffeine well. Claire's eyebrows twitch. Shocker. The sheriff is in a meeting right now, but if you tell me what's up, I'd be happy to pass it along. He doesn't look convinced. Claire sighs. <sighs> Mr. Reyes, it's a small town, small department. Whatever you tell him would get to me anyway. It's the mine. That gets Claire's attention. The guy you found in it. No ID or anything on him, right? You know who he is. Nathan Pollard. Putting her coffee down, Claire scrambles for a pencil. He works at Greenview Air Base. In the Air Force? No, government agent. Top secret. You ever hear of the men in black? Across the room, Davis bursts out laughing. Claire's pencil freezes on the paper. Greenview is actually a front for a confidential research program that the government uh, has been conducting since the uh, 1950s. Mm. And uh, What did you say you did again, Mr. Reyes? I run a blog. Called? Tony pauses, reading the atmosphere, reluctant to answer. The Truth Seeker. B. Claire sets down her pencil. Exterior, Sheriff's Department, day, moments later. Quietly fuming, Tony storms out of the department and down the steps. But as he approaches the sidewalk, a black SUV pulls up. Tony stops in his tracks to watch as Anna Garner, 50s, no nonsense, and Eric's son, 30s, buried humor, get out. Both wear conservative black suits and dark sunglasses. They climb the stairs past Tony, who stares despite himself. For a moment, sun seems to meet his eye, and the agents move on, pushing into the building. Tony suppresses a manic giggle, bordering on the hysterical. And scene. And scene. <laughs> That's it. 
Oh my gosh, I love it so and much. Th- so this is so much fun setup. So as things go on, and Tony's the only one that is sort of aware and is trying to get the word out, and uh, Claire is dealing with him and also dealing with personal issues with her daughter. This all builds up, and these other two agents that get introduced at the end of the scene also start playing a role because they're responding to the fact that this is one of their dudes that was mysteriously found dead in this pond at this mine site. Right. So what's happening here, Caitlin? <laughs> what is going on? Do you want the full rundown? Because yeah, I have a one-pager. <laughs> well, so that was actually one of the questions I had was in terms of writing for a serialized story, writing for television, something that's going to not just take two and a half hours in the movie theater to get through. How much are you planning out? Do you have seasons figured out? Is it just one arc that you've got right now? How, how much are you planned out on this? Um, I have like a first season and a loose second planned out uh, just to have it in case anybody asks. Sure. Um, and I have the the answers for like the basic questions of like, well, what the heck is going on here? Because um, you need to be able to answer those questions if somebody asks. Well, and a, um, a lot of times there are shows that I think sort of end up getting bogged down in their own in their own mythology, and it you know, it right. sort of ends up collapsing on itself. I think X Files sort of ended up collapsing on itself after those first few years. I know. To I know. My, my rest in peace, X Files. I know. I loved you so much. I know. Um, yeah, so I, I'm trying to to keep things, you know, grounded in like certain hard answers of like, okay, well, like this is why this is happening, and this is why this is happening, and. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you don't want to spin out too too wildly, especially not right at the beginning, because there's no coming back from that. I think that Lost showed us that, if anything. Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's that. It's, um, yeah, I, I can tell you the... Well, let's start with Claire. Yeah. Let's start yeah. with Claire and her daughter in their missing mm-hmm. paternal figure. Right. What, what's happening? Why all the secrecy? Why the you know, the closed lips from Claire and, and the conflict of like her professional work versus her family work too. So, uh, they, Claire and her daughter, Jess had moved a couple months ago from another dusty California city called Palmdale, which is a real place. Um, and they, uh, did it kind of abruptly. Um, Claire, uh, had caught her husband, um, doing some hard drugs. That's why she doesn't like to talk about it. And she had basically, he was like kind of behaving erratically and dangerously. And she did not want that around her daughter. So she told him to go get himself clean, uh, come back in a year and maybe they'd be able to talk about it then. And she didn't want to, uh, tell Jess that this is what was happening. Um, his behavior and a lot of the stuff that he had been doing on these like, you know, illegal substance related issues had actually gotten put her career in jeopardy in Palmdale, which was another reason why they needed to leave. Um, she wasn't going to be able to continue working, um, in law enforcement out there. So that's why, you know, she had had her supervisor reach out to some other local, uh, uh, sheriffs and see if there was a, a place for her elsewhere, which is how she came to be in Brayfield. And and the the Claire Jess relationship, I think, if you did have to pick a main character, I would say that it is Claire, and their relationship is sort of driving not necessarily the what's happening with the investigation and this mystery death and the government conspiracy and all that, but in terms of like a, a an emotional core of a story, right. it's the two of them for sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm a daughter, I have a mother, and it's it was you know. It was nice to be able to write about about two people who care about each other a lot and and you know who are going through a rough time but you know they're going to get through it okay well, I have every faith I love the idea that this is actually like a mother daughter story mm-hmm. you know yes. so let's say let's say 8 years from now after we've gotten six wildly successful seasons of yeah. Breakfield right. and you're in your final season you're wrapping it up and all the editorials come out and they're like this is amazing an amazing mother daughter story that happens in the middle of this you know like we would get to see and and you've really nailed down such 
um, like the beginning of real development between a mother and a daughter when the daughter is like a teenager. Because over time, we'd get to see them go through some big life events together mm-hmm. and getting right. that relationship developed and watching the interplay of a mother and a daughter, I think, is just phenomenal, really. Sure. I'm I'm very anti, uh, you know, the Disney trope of like the dead mom. <laughs> yeah. Um, I you know I I I love to see mother and daughter relationships, and I I think that they're frequently portrayed as kind of toxic. Yes. Um, in a lot of ways, in a lot of pop culture, and that's total BS. Um, I I wanted to write something that like you know these these two people they're going to have some conflict because. It's boring to watch a TV show with no conflict, but um, they do still really care about each other and they're not, I don't, yeah, they're, they're, they're going to get through it. Okay. Yeah. Claire, Claire shows up at her daughter's soccer match in this first episode mm-hmm. and like the daughter's genuinely glad. It's not one of those, oh geez, my mom's here. Like she's really glad that right. she made it. Yeah. No, she's, uh, she, she's doing her best. Everybody's kind of just like doing their best <laughs> at this point, but there's, you know. It's some extraterrestrial influence. And what can you do in the face of that? (laughs) You just got to smile and show up at the soccer match. That's all. (laughs) Pretty much. Yep. You do a lot of really, there's a lot of neat little things that I liked reading the script as opposed to, say, if I was to watch this, if it was turned into an episode of the, of a TV show, little bits in the script that are really just for someone reading it, like describing someone with a really tight smile when you mention how when Claire wakes up at one point, how she hasn't relearned how to sleep in the middle of the bed. I love that part. I did too. Like there's, there's cool little bits that just sort of reward a reader, which I think is very cool that you're putting in there. Yeah, I mean, that's the, you got to keep people entertained. Otherwise, they'll put your script to the side and then no one will buy it and you will never be a millionaire. You know, Mm -hmm. these are the things. (laughs) Yes. Keep it it moving forward. So because there are so many characters in this story and we've sort of hit the the main ones, but there's a couple ancillary guys that are working at the mine site. And when you're coming up with all this and you have so many different things going on at once, but are still all connected to this main story that you're trying to tell, how do you how do you decide like editing? How do you know to go from one little scene to another and picking what that next scene is? How does that work for you on on a construction level? Oh, gosh, I mean. It's hard to put it into words. Mm-hmm. I think you just kind of do it. That's not very helpful. Well, I know. I mean, I think that outlining really was a savior to me in the, on this one because, like I said, this was the first time that I had dealt with so many characters and kind of so many locations and so many plot lines. Um, and that really helped me in realizing, like, oh, I dropped – the line of Jess over here and I need to bring her back over here. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, we haven't been back to the mine in a little while. Okay. Like what's going on back there. Um, so yeah, putting, putting it all out on like just a couple pieces of paper before I actually, you know, dove in and, and wrote it and then was forced to rewrite it down the line helped me. And I think it sounds like from what you're describing, too, it, it also sounds like there's an instinctual level where if you say you can't put it into words, the idea that, OK, well, we're with Claire and Jess right now and let's cut over to Tony. And now let's see what Miguel, this guy who works over at the mine, what, like it, it feels like you're sort of uh, you're able to feel your way through and approach it almost naturalistically. Right. I mean, you know, we're all we're all people who consume probably too much television. Mm. Um, I know I am. And y- you you. They say, what is it, 10,000 hours makes you an expert at anything? <laughs> oh, perfect, Definitely, yeah. I've watched over 10,000 hours of mm-hmm. television. Um, and you kind of internalize that, you know, okay, like this is this is the way that story feels in a one-hour, yeah. you know, drama. Mm-hmm. Like this is, this is the pace and the, these are the kind of little moments that you should try and hit. Um, and obviously it's different in every script, but um, in, uh, you'll, you'll get, you get there. I mean, it just kind of, it's in your head. You just need to let it out basically. You know, the whole um, element with asbestos and the story Mm, and all of the homes that are showing up with asbestos, um, I like that you kind of introduce multiple threats to the community. Yeah. You know, we have this secretive high-level potential alien experience, but then there's a very real um, immediate danger to the community. And could you just talk a little bit about that story choice? Yeah. there was, uh, I did actually see like a couple articles about asbestos in Trona, California, and that's kind of where that came from. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and it was another way to link um, the the town to the airbase um, because while there may be some asbestos, it's not all asbestos. Yeah. Um, and I feel uh, like the more we say that word, the funnier it gets, right? I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it was yeah, it, it was just kind of another way. Look, I, I think the best sci-fi and fantasy, you know, barring maybe Game of Thrones, is super grounded. Um, and you could take away the dragons or the killer robots and you would still have a good story about real people. And I mean, isn't that like the black, that's like the black mirror thing. Like everything is, is grounded and in in real people and, and real interactions. Um, and so the more that you can do to render the people in the background in three dimensions, the better the story will be. That's kind of what I was coming at with this. Like just, it, it is this, this, this kind of crumbling place. Um, how, how do you illustrate that? What's, what's a real way that you can show that like people are being physically displaced from their own homes, left, right, and center. Um, and on top of that, there's something else going on. And also how do you throw another monkey wrench at Claire and Jess's relationship? I love that. And like, yeah, it's just like all of this, you know, stuff adding up and, and creating more of a, a textured backdrop for mm-hmm. the rest of it. I do like that, you know, you set up this like mother daughter uh, beginning conflict and then you put them in a tiny space together. <laughs> That's so <laughs> smart. It's so smart. And, you, you know, you, you said another wrench in there and that's totally it you just throw another one in there and and i think too like you know connecting the town we're talking about how do you plot everything out how do you add this color this layer this 3d-ness to them well in this pilot episode you do a really great job of making me wonder what everything else is like the beginnings of the relationships the way that people are interacting i feel like there's history between all of these people in this town and it makes me want yeah. to keep getting more story from this place. I'm glad that that means that I did a good job. <laughs> <laughs> you built well. It's, it's a very real feeling world. The way that these characters have developed just over the course of this first episode that you written that you've written it. You're you're. you're there, there, it's such a hard thing, like to do exposition, right? To to let the audience know maybe what relationships are between characters. You almost always have to do it through dialogue, and it's really fun when somebody says, "Well, hello, Aunt Sally. I haven't seen you in right. four years." Like, it's really tough to to sell that sort of stuff. And I think you do a great job. the The relationship that Miguel has with the woman, uh, like the the little affair that they're having, or whatever it is, it's just a romance. Like that, it's a it's a it's a side story, but it, it keeps it's still in service of the main story, and it's it's. Still, pe- at the end of the day, it's, it's people living their lives. It, you're, you've created this pretty realistic world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you find the little moments of like, okay, where where are the the things that are going to blow up down the line? Mm-hmm. Um, and that you know, that's one of them. Yeah. Um, just like the the little moments of like things that would would become conflict later. You know. And Start also, them off here. And also, if you're writing, you're you know, so because you are writing a series and you've planned things out for a while, because like just the nature of the fact that it's TV also and it's not a movie means like everything kind of has time to breathe, right? There's not this like right. pressure of fit it in there, tell this story, get it done. You can everything can just sort of flex and take its time a little bit. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, you can really just just kind of explore the characters a little bit more. Yeah. So here's my next big question for you. Okay. Why? Aliens. Mm. Why? <laughs> um, I like aliens. Um, also, they're this weird part of the mythology of the American Southwest. Yeah. And of people all over the world. I mean, people report UFO sightings and alien sightings, like, mostly in Russia, but also all over the place. Um, but especially in the Southwest, I mean, you're already operating in this eerie landscape. Um, and to add another element of weirdness to it is very interesting and fun. Yeah. Um, that's why aliens, I mean, it's, 
I mean, also government conspiracy and aliens go hand in hand. For sure. Um, so it's, it's fun to kind of play, play that up in the context of this, like, very small town. Have you always liked alien stories? <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, as a little kid, were you reading these things and looking yeah. for UFOs and stuff? Oh, yeah. I mean, Bruce Coville was the that was my jam back in the day. That was you my, know, te- my teacher. My is teacher an is an alien. Yes. I was just about yeah. to say that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I really loved his his work. I mean, I think I read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy when I was like nine or ten. Yeah. Um, and uh, like my I think my dad put it in my hands and I still haven't put it down. Um it's my my phone case says don't panic on it. I mean, it's, you know, it's really big for me. I really love, you know, those kind of like goofy sci-fi stories. Um, I don't I don't really go in much for like the hard sci-fi, but, you know, the and, and the X-Files, that was the first TV show I ever watched, really. Um, it was a very formative thing for me. Um, and it just, it, you know, it those stories, they're, they're fun and they're funny and they're weird and they're interesting. And I, I just, I really, I love them. Yeah. You get, to, there's, there's a lot of room to play there. You, it's a fun mm-hmm. sandbox to play in. You can do literally anything. Yeah. So it's kind of like the allure of possibility pulls yeah. you in too. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I feel that way about, yeah, sci-fi and fantasy. You can, you can do anything and you can do it any way you want to do it. You can do it. Like I said, game of Thrones with the big, sweeping epic dragons you know warring families a completely dif- different land um or you can do it something wacky and weird like hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy or you can do something very grounded um and it's all available to you do you always write kind of like science fiction or are there other things that you also work on that you also like to write that are kind of a different genre or a different tone or feeling or flavor I am what they would call a genre writer. Uh, um, yeah. that, that is the box that they put me in out here in L.A. Um, do you like and, that box? Uh, I do. I, I enjoy this go. box. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, honestly, I mean, there, there are – there's not a ton of women who get put in this box. I mean, there are, but it's hard to be taken – like, there, there are a lot of women who are in it, but there are still more men. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, it's just, it's fun to, to be able to be, to be in this. I mean, you, like I said, you can do literally anything. Honestly, I think the one thing that I've written that doesn't really have a tinge of sci-fi or fantasy to it, um, is a heist movie that I wrote that's set in Renaissance Italy. <laughs> yeah. Still like, that's still weird. Like that's still pretty weird. You know, it doesn't, it's not super realistic. Um, but yeah, that's, you know, kind of what, what I do. I wanted to ask too, um, you know, you were talking about some words of wisdom that you got as a young person. Mm. And at this point in your life, what do you think you would want to say to somebody? Like, what would you say to the, the 22 year old you, what kind of words of wisdom or advice would you share as a writer? Um, actually I'm going to quote, Somebody, somebody that I, a, t- a professor that I had back in college who told me that um, when you graduate, uh, after you graduate, it will take you about seven years to get on the path that you want to be on um, to like, you know, start making your career happen. And at the time, you know, when you're listening to someone tell you this thing and you're still in school, you're just sort of like, ah, no, right. no way. Like that's no way. That also seven years, that's so long. Um, like I'm, I'm going to be the, I'm going to be the one that gets it directly out of college. Right. Um, sure enough, about seven years after I graduated, (laughs) I am on the path to where I want to go. Um, and, uh, I wouldn't really trade in any of the experiences that I had to get to this point, because if you took away the three years working at a visual effects company, I would not be working on stranger things because certain things that I learned, you know, working there or connections that I made there were the things that helped me get this job or do okay at this job. Um, everything that I had in, in my past has like led me to where I'm at. So I guess I would say, 
keep your head down, keep working. Um, don't discount any opportunity that comes your way. Um, respect the heck out of most of the people that you meet, unless they give you a reason not to, uh, because somewhere down the line, it's all going to add up to what you want to do. And that's invaluable. I like that very much. I do. So if someone is looking to get in touch with you about Breakfield, about any plans you might have for selling it, producing it, et cetera, what do you think is the best way for them to do that? Uh, you can actually find me on Twitter. My uh, my handle is at uh, Schneider Jams. So it's S-C-H-N-E-I-D-E-R-J-A-M-Z. There we go. Yeah, okay. And That's we'll, fine. We'll make sure that I, I've been reading your bio, Schneider Hand, Schneider Hand. <laughs> yeah. That's very good. Very, very good. Uh, so we will make sure that uh, that is uh, linked up on the section of scriptshopshow.com that we will have for you uh, now that we have uh, got your show uh, just about wrapped up. Great. Well, thank you, guys. Thank you. I loved reading the script, and I'm really excited for you and for everything that you could do with the story. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. Cool. That was Caitlin. Schneider hands. <laughs> That's going to be stuck in my head all day long now. It's easy to make that happen. Mm. There's a ton going on in the script, folks. It's beautiful. If you haven't read it yet, uh, check it out there. It's it's very much the, a pilot episode in that everybody gets introduced. You have a great understanding of the characters, the relationship, what the story is building toward. Uh, it's uh, I think you, it's great. I love that she was saying, you know, what are those moments that are going to blow up in the f- – later on down the line and this script is is full of them yep you know get in there start feeling this feel figure out what's going on and just it's like you want more wait for the rest of the story to come uh if you have uh, written a story that is ready to come and uh, bring it out into the world you should send it to us uh by going on to scriptshopshow.com slash submit and we would love to uh, check it out don't forget that you can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We love talking to people, so, you know, that's why we're doing this show. Hop on those social media <laughs> platforms if you want to continue the conversation. We're always here to talk, so um, we're looking forward to it. And anything else, Jack? I think that's everything, right? I, yeah, no, we'll we'll that, have to check that, with Frank later. He can give us a, a, a thumbs up back. or thumbs down. Yeah. Okay, friends, we really appreciate this time. And until next week, that's a wrap. Script Shop was created by Allison West. Hosted by Allison West and Jack Crumley. Produced by Frank Steele. Thanks to iHeartMedia Cincinnati for use of their studio. Intro music, Retro Soul by bensound.com. Outro music by purple-planet.com. Special thanks to all our guests. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.